Hey, Crispin here on the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. Today on the podcast, we have part 16 of our series on the Gospel of John. Today's message is titled, A Little Bit with Jesus. We're going to find out a little bit with God is a lot better than a whole lot without God. Looking at the miracle where Jesus feeds the 5,000 with the equivalent of a sack lunch out in the wilderness. We're going to find that there's a lot of meaning packed into this story and also a challenge for each of us in our daily lives. Hey, don't forget, we've got lots of things coming up. We've got Wild at Heart starting for men uh, in a few weeks. Registration is open. We've got Youth Bowling this Wednesday night and also... Uh, we've got a service project where we're trying to uh, help build a house in the community for a lady who needs it. So, all kinds of things you can check out on our website, northshorevineyard.org. But for now, let's head to the talk. Thanks for listening. Better than a whole life without Your little bit with God will be enough I can tell you without a doubt Young David many years before he became king Went out to face that giant with nothing but a sling He sent that rock a-flying it tumbled to the ground Just a little bit with God is more than enough To turn the war around Jesus and his disciples out in the wilderness Thousands of people following in hungry distress And nothing but a sack lunch To feed the multitude Little blessing by Jesus, and that was more than enough food. We're talking a feast, y'all. A little bit with Jesus, better than a whole lot without. Yeah, a little bit with Jesus, better than a whole lot without. Your little bit with God will be enough. I can tell you without a doubt Paul and Peter in prison Just a song of praise Singing out at midnight When the place began to shake And walked an angel To set them prisoners free Cause a little song with Jesus Is surely better than Holding them prison keys Yeah, a little bit with Jesus I said a little bit with Jesus I said a little bit with Jesus A little bit with Jesus 
A little bit with Jesus is better than a whole lot. Okay, I'm on, I'm on. Well, today we're in uh, the Gospel of John part 16, something like that. Um, yeah, part 16. And uh, we, we find ourselves in John chapter 6. And here's how it starts. Verse 1. Sometimes, Sometime after this, Jesus crossed to the far side far shore of the Sea of Galilee, that is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Then Jesus went up on a mountainside and sat down with his disciples. With his disciples. The Jewish Passover festival was near. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy enough food for these people to eat? Now he asked this only to test him. For he already knew what he had in mind and what he was going to do. Philip answered him, It would take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place, and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Jesus then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed those loaves to those who were seated as much as they wanted. All-you-can-eat buffet. He did the same with the fish. When they had all done it, had enough to eat, he said to the disciples, Gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled twelve baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. After the people saw the signs Jesus performed, they began to say, Surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing what they intended to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. A little bit with Jesus, better than a whole lot without. Now, do we have any fans of reading mystery novels or anything? Yeah, okay, does anybody read stuff anymore? You know, okay. <laughs> Okay, whether you read mystery novels or whether you uh, watch movies, every book, every detail in a book or movie is controlled by the author or the director. So there's no details in, in, the, in, the, in the course of reading a book that are going to be insignificant. If, if a, an author draws your attention to it, it's because it's going to play a certain part. So, for instance, if you're watching a movie and all of a sudden the camera pans over to a table and you see something lying on the table, maybe it's a, a pin, maybe it's a pair of scissors. If the camera lingers there for a couple of seconds, what do you think? There's this pin, I don't know what it means, but it's going to be important in the grand scheme as the plot unfolds. Well, the same goes for the Gospel of John. It's easy to look at the Gospels as just kind of a historical thing, just some random stories about Jesus. But 
John, more than any other gospel, man, this guy had skills the way he told the story. There's layers and layers of, of narrative, and, and he put it all together in a very artistic way. Now, there's something that John tells us here in the first part of this passage. He says, the Jewish Passover festival was near. The Jewish Passover festival was near. Now, the last time we heard talk in the Gospel of John about the Passover was back when Jesus came into Jerusalem and he cleared out the temple of the the money traders, the animal traders. He, He ran them out. And that was during Passover, and a lot of people got really angry. And that said, that was one of the the first signs that he did. And now we see, on this day that that he's going to feed the multitudes by basically miraculously turning a a sack lunch of fish and bread into something where everybody, 5,000 people, can eat. It happens near the Jewish Passover festival. This isn't some random thing. You know, when we read the Bible, we might kind of just look over that because we're not in a culture that has been celebrating Passover. But to the Jewish people who had been celebrating Passover for hundreds, over a thousand years, it meant something. This was the festival where they, they recalled how God heard their cries. Lord, we're, we're slaves. We're slaves of Egypt. Hear our cries. Rescue us. And God heard their cries and he delivered them. By the Passover. And so the Passover for for the Jewish people held huge significance. It also held expectation. Um, There's a rabbi, Nathan Goldberg, who um, writes this. He said, Passover, the festival of freedom coming in the spring month of Nisan on the Jewish calendar, which is around March or April, annually brought relief and hope to the suffering, suffering folk. And he quotes some of the sources of that day, first century uh, Palestine. says, in the month of Nisan, the Israelites were freed from Egyptian bondage. And in the month of Nisan, they will be freed again. See, people back at that time, every time they celebrated Passover in the spring, they reflected on how God had saved them in the spring. He had, he had, the, the time they celebrated Passover was, it, it was, it was for all those years when God had actually done it. And there was this belief back then that God would once again free his people in the Passover. Now, it's interesting that, that John mentions Passover three times in the Gospel of John. You know where the last place John mentions Passover is? Anybody? It's when Jesus dies on the cross. Jesus is crucified on the very day that the lambs were being prepared for Passover, which takes us all the way back to the beginning of the book of John, where John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the Lord. Jesus is the Passover Lamb. So we see three instances where Jesus is connected with Passover. But here we look at the Passover connected with this feeding of the 5,000. So when John draws our attention to the fact that the extraordinary feeding of the crowds took place in Passover time, he is clearly hoping that we will connect this in our minds, both with Passover itself and the time when God liberated the children of Israel from Egypt and led them through the wilderness to the promised land. Now, think in your minds, even if you don't know a whole lot about the Bible, is there another time where The people of God were out in the wilderness and they were fed miraculously. Well, what would that be? 
Yeah, manna. Back in the Exodus. The Exodus story, we see that, that God provided for the children of Israel this manna, this bread that would appear on the ground every morning. They could gather as much as they want. There was always enough to eat. Jesus steps in and, and feeds this crowd out in the wilderness. Now, I, I skipped a few verses since what Mike did last week, you know, because honestly, there's some parts of John that get a little confusing. And I figured I kind of had already the week before told a lot about what those were about. But, but Jesus has this conversation with the Pharisees. He says, look, you guys study the Bible. You, are, you know every verse. But yet, the one that the whole scriptures of the Old Testament is pointing to is me. And you don't see me. The Son of God standing right in front of your face. You don't see the whole point of the Old Testament. I'm right here. And Jesus tells them something interesting, which kind of builds up to this. He says, don't look to Moses. Don't think Moses is going to say. He said, Moses was talking about me. And if Moses were standing here, he would condemn you. He says, Moses, all that he prophesied about this other deliverer that would be like Moses, who would bring an exodus to the people of Israel. He said, that's me. And so we can clearly see John, the Gospel of John, he's making all these parallels with the Exodus story. And now we see, even in this case today, that Jesus feeding the crowds in the wilderness, we're going to learn a lot about bread and kind of the Exodus story in the next few weeks. We can see that even this, it's, it's one of those parallel resonances with the, with the Old Testament, that Jesus is not just a deliverer like Moses. He's not just the Messiah. He is the bread of life. Now, I think one of the, that's kind of the overarching theme of this passage today. But let's get down to to the real world a bit. This is kind of a test. You ever get tested by God before? (laughs) You know, I like to test my kids sometimes, you know. I just like to test their generosity. So when we go to Wendy's, I'm like, hey, can dad have a French fry? You want to share? You know, and it's not that I, well, sometimes I do want that French fry, but it's a test. I just want to see, will they share something with me? Or even the bigger test is, hey, why don't you give your sister a couple of French fries? They don't usually pass that test very often. (laughs) Something about French fries. They bring out the greed in my kids. Uh, They share broccoli. I'll share that, Dad. Let me share the broccoli. I care about Tevia's health. Uh, But this is a test. Jesus is testing them in this. What we see is, in the previous verses, we see that there's a kind of religious blindness that can happen. We can can actually hold the Bible so high that we miss the point of what the Bible is pointing to, which is Jesus. We can be religiously blind in our own traditions. But we see something different with the disciples. They're not blind to who Jesus is. They've just forgotten about what he's done. I mean, keep in mind. It says this multitude... We're gathered, we're, we're coming to Jesus because they'd seen all the healings, the miracles that he'd done. Now, the disciples, they had a front row seat to this. Here's a few of the miracles that we've seen up to this point. First miracle, Jesus is at a wedding. They run out of wine. He makes something like 160, 180 gallons of wine. Anybody get how much wine that is? Let's just say if it was gas, you'd have enough gas to get to California, unless you drove an SUV. But... Uh, It's a lot of wine. Jesus does this miracle at a party. And then 
We see Jesus with a Samaritan woman. He, he shows that he can read her mail. He knows things about her that nobody else knows. You know, this revival breaks out in her town. A lot of people believe he's the Messiah. We see after that that Jesus heals a, a, a ruler's son. And then we see that the, the miracle we talked about for like the last month, <laughs> Jesus healing this, this guy at the pool of Bethesda who was paralyzed for 38 years. The, the disciples have clearly seen that Jesus can do all kinds of supernatural things. And yet, what happens when they get into this moment where they're facing kind of an impossible situation? Well, it seems to me like Jesus likes to test his disciples from time to time with difficult or even seemingly impossible situations to see if we're going to uh, come through. And so... Here's the test, and here's the grades. Here's the report card. <laughs> Philip gets an F. Here's what, Philip, what happens with Philip. When Jesus looked up and saw the great crowd coming towards him, he said to Philip, where shall we buy bread for, for these people to eat? He asked this only to test him, for he already had in mind what he was going to do. And Philip answered, it would take almost a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. Philip is looking with total natural eyes. Philip is what my wife would call a realist. I call them pessimists. You know, my wife says, no, it's not pessimism. It's realism. It's realism. I'm just being real here. <laughs> Philip is a realist. We got any realist in here? You. <laughs> Philip's like, look, a year's wages wouldn't buy enough bread for everybody to have a bite. That's if there was a bread store out here. We're in the middle of nowhere. You ain't got a Circle K, uh, Wendy's, anything. This is the middle of nowhere. It's impossible. He gets an F. Andrew, Andrew gets a C. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two fish, but how far will they go among so many? So at least Andrew shows up with something. He's like, look... <laughs> I ain't got much. I got this little sack lunch here. So we'll give Andrew a C. But really, if we're looking at the disciples for great examples of faith, they all fell. Which I'm kind of glad because that, that, that's comforting to me, right? <laughs> I'm glad Jesus didn't pick a bunch of faith warriors, you know, like that. Because <laughs> I can identify. You know, sometimes... When we get in seemingly impossible situations, we need to remember God, don't we? Sometimes when we face something that just seems utterly impossible with natural eyes, we need to remember what God's done in our lives. You know, one of my favorite Psalms, Psalm 42. David writes in verse 5, he says, Why, my soul, are you downcast? You know what that means? Nobody says that anymore. Why? Why, my soul, are you downcast? It's like, dude, why am I depressed? Why am I so in a funk right now? You ever have those days? Why am I just, ugh? He says, why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise Him, my Savior and my God. My soul is depressed within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mizar, deep calls to deep to the roars of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Day by day the Lord directs His love. At night His song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. 
David's saying, man, when I get depressed, I start thinking about all the times God's come through. And he starts mentioning place. I remember you from the land of Jordan. I remember the heights of Hermon from Mount Mizar. I don't think David's just, just calling out geographical places. I think David's saying, I remember that time down at the Jordan River when you came through. I was about to get my butt kicked and you came through. I remember over on that mountain when everything seemed impossible, you came through. I got to do that myself. Sometimes I get in a funk because I see, dude, this thing's impossible. This, this relational problem is impossible. This job situation is impossible. This financial situation, it's impossible. There's no way out. We just ain't got enough. And I've, I've said this before. Dina and I, and this is a good habit to get in, people. Dina and I, many times a year, <laughs> we, we have to just kind of put everything on pause for a second and maybe sometimes even walk around our house and start thanking God for all the ways he's come through. I mentioned, you know, a, a few years ago, I, I, I had a heart attack and we had this major medical bill that didn't get, you know, it was, it was huge. There's just no chance of paying it. And um, God, fin- God came through miraculously, got the whole bill paid off, like $100,000. And uh, we, the day that we got the news, I said, okay, we're starting a new family holiday called God Takes Care of the Schroeder's Day. And and we, we get together. We've celebrated it twice now since then. We get together on November 1st, and we have a meal together, and we just think back to all the ways God has come through for us, how he's, how he's rescued us. That's, I, I tell you, it's my favorite family holiday now. But we got to remind ourselves. And, and me and Dina, we found this out when we first got married. You know, for, for really several years, right after we got married, and even after we had Tevia. We were living way below the poverty line. I mean, like, poverty line. Louisiana, it's pretty low. (laughs) And we are a few thousand dollars lower than that a year. And there would be months where I was playing music and doing landscaping, and there would be months where there was no music gigs, no landscaping. It it was tight. Nothing. And I'd say, Dina, let's just start walking around the house. And we start walking around the house, and we're like... That couch over there, we didn't buy it, did we? No. <laughs> God heard our cries. <laughs> that TV set over there, we didn't buy that either, did we? No, 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 somebody gave that to us. We, we, one time, we just started looking around. Even the car we had, it's like everything we had was a total blessing from God. We realized we don't have much that we can blame on our own efforts here. God has come through from us on every occasion. We haven't yet missed rent. We haven't yet not had food. We've always had clothes. God has always come through. But sometimes you get in these situations where you've got to remind yourself. Because you get depressed looking at how bad it is. But you know what? Those are exactly the kind of situations God's like, God likes putting us in. I'm convinced. That's part of the faith journey. God's not trying to be mean. He's trying to put us in these situations where we can, can, like the disciples, just show up with a sack lunch and say, okay, God, we ain't got much, but a little bit with Jesus, better than a whole lot without. I could preach right now. God wants us to realize that His glory is not in our intellectual ability, not in our 
wealth of money or our connections or our political ideas, our power is in Him. Our hope is in Him. And He likes showing His glory in impossible situations. He likes that. That's His style. Why do I say that? Well, I, I, could, I could do a whole message on this, but I'm going to briefly cover a few things from the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah, the patriarchs of the faith. Father Abraham and many sons. Anybody remember that one? Okay. I'm not going to recreate it for you. <laughs> Abraham and Sarah, they're like near 100 years old. I got people started dating. They ain't coming back. Uh, <laughs> that's right. Abraham and Sarah, they're, they're nearly 100 years old. I mean, they way past the age of childbearing. And God comes to Abraham, and he's having a little meeting with him. Sarah's kind of hanging out outside, eavesdropping on the tent wall. And, and God tells Abraham, he's like, Abraham, look, I know I told you years ago that, that you're going to have uh, children like the sands of the sea, and that hasn't happened yet. But I want to tell you, um, you're, you're about to have a son. And, and, and Sarah's out there listening in, you know, trying to be all quiet and stuff, listening in, and she just can't help but laugh. She's like, what? A child? Nobody has a child when you're 99 years old. That's crazy talk. And God hears her. God's got good ears, by the way. God tells Sarah, he said, okay, because you laughed, I'm going to get the last laugh here. You're going to name that child Laughter. And his name was going to be Isaac, which meant laughter. And so you're going to be reminded every time you call his name, every time you say, Isaac, come, come in here, clean your room. You're going to remind, you're going to be reminded of what I did with your old self. <laughs> I brought you a baby when it seemed impossible. When, because I'm not in the business of doing things that just look normal. I'm not in the business of just doing things that are, eh, I like doing impossible, crazy things. And so sure enough, they have a child named Isaac. I, love, I, I just love God's sense of humor and all that. And then there was David and Goliath. I love that story. I, I, I got it out the other night. I was reading it to Ezra when, he, when I was putting him to bed. Ezra likes those kind of stories. I do too, actually. But I love the story of David and Goliath. You've got the armies of Israel facing the armies of the Philistines. And, and they're, they're, there's this valley in between them. And the Philistines, they got this dude that's huge. He carries this spear that's heavier than most of the soldiers on the Jewish side. I mean, he, this, this dude, he's just massive. And he's taunting him. Send me out one of your champions and, and let's just go one-on-one. -on -one. We don't even have to, our armies don't even have to face each other. Just send your best guy out to fight me. And, and whoever wins will be the Lord over the other people. The other people will be the slaves. And so this goes on for weeks. And the, the, the children of Israel, they're scared to death. They're shaking in their boots. Like, who can face this dude? He's crazy. He's big. I mean, you look up at him, he's like 10 feet tall. Bump his head on the roof here. And David, David's just a little shepherd boy. He's not, he's, he's not even sent out there to be a part of the army. And so finally, David's dad one day says, David, look, you need to bring your brother some food. I'm going to send you on an errand up to the front lines. Bring him some bread and cheese and stuff. And David shows up and he hears of what's going on. He's like, I can't believe you guys. Why is, that, why is everybody cowering in fear? Don't you realize how big God is? And everybody's like, well, God's pretty big. But you see that guy? He's crazy big. 
And David finally, he, he says, let me at him. And David was a teenager. Little dude. Nobody saw anything in David. I mean, he was obviously just watching sheep. But he tells Saul, he's like, look, I've killed a bear and I've killed a lion with my bare hands. I think I can get this guy. I think with God's help, we got this. And so finally Saul says, okay, if you're going to go out there, at least take my armor. Now we know from looking and reading the Bible that Saul was a really tall guy. You know, that, that you heard that saying, head and shoulders above the rest. That actually comes from the Bible. It was referring to Saul. Big dude. David, not so much. David tries to put on all his armor, and it's crazy. He's like, <laughs> it, it's clumsy, you know, it's, it's, it, it doesn't fit. So David said, look, I appreciate the offer. I know this is finely made armor, but let me, let me do it the way that I'm used to it. So David, he goes out, not in armor, but with a sling and a few stones. And he tells this, this, this Goliath, he says, look, You come at me with your sword and your spear, but I come at you in the name of the God of Israel, whom you have defied. You're going to die. The dude falls down, dead, killed by a little shepherd boy who nobody saw coming because God likes to show his glory that way. That's the kind of God we serve. He likes impossible, crazy situations to show his glory. There's one other story from the Bible that I love. That Jehoshaphat was a, a king and there's this battle coming. And all these different people wanted, these different armies wanted to fight him. And he's, he's a righteous guy, so he starts calling out to guys like, God, we're, we're, we ain't got enough here. We're in trouble. What do we do? And, and the prophetic word came to him and said, look, here's what I want you to do. You just stand firm knowing that the battle's mine. So what'd they do? They got the band together. They got the musicians, the singers, and they sent them out to the front lines. Realize how ridiculous that would look. You got all these armies coming out there to fight. Mean looking, tough looking soldier guys. And then all of a sudden there's all these dudes coming out with guitars and drums and basses and saxophones, singers, choirs and they just start worshiping the lord they start giving they they start saying give thanks to the lord for his mercy endures forever and it says in the middle of that in the middle of this praise and worship going up to god god confused the enemies and the enemies attacked each other nobody from the israelites got hurt no israelites were harmed in the making of that story god Showed his glory. Now, one thing I see about this story, a couple of things. Number one, God wants us to participate in what he's doing. You know, God could defeat Goliath, but he wanted someone to participate. David stepped up. God could have done his, his miracle uh, any other way, but he, he chose to do it through Abraham and Sarah. He chose to invite them to be a part. Now, I'm not saying that David and Goliath or Jehoshaphat or any of these things were a formula, some kind of religious formula, but I think they show us a principle. That's the principle we see in the feeding of the 5,000. Your little bit with Jesus is more than enough. Your little bit 
with God, it's better than having a whole lot without God. He wants us to contribute what little we have to what He's doing. So, I want to ask you this question. What do you have to give? What do you have to give this morning? Not just money, although we could pass the basket around again now. You know, just kidding. <laughs> what do you have to give? You know, a few years ago, I, I, I was working with an online community that was working. I just kind of joined them to, to get some ideas on how to reach a community. Uh, there was a group of folks up in, in Cincinnati. They were doing some things to, to work in the community. So I just kind of, I actually joined this group online just to kind of get some ideas. But when I'm filling out the stuff, you know, you got to fill out some information about yourself. They said, okay, what do you have to contribute to what's going on? I didn't come here to contribute. I just came to get some stuff. <laughs> They're like, no, what is your unique thing that you have? And I finally ended up writing them. I was like, look, I don't know if I got anything unique. These pe- I mean, some of these people had been heading up nonprofit groups for years that were dealing with the hungry, the poor, the oppressed, and, and helping folks in society. I'm, I'm thinking, I got nothing on that. I said, the one thing I can bring to the table, though, is I'm a musician. And I realized that all my years of playing music, even though I wouldn't play any music with this group of people, but it has helped me understand something about being in a group of people that all have to play their part and work together to make something that's better than they are. I was like, well, I got that. (laughs) It may not be much, and it may seem kind of insignificant, but maybe I can join your conversation with the wisdom that I have from doing music. You know, I, I, I tell people all the time, I think I learn more about... Uh, church from from being in bands than I would have by going to seminary. <laughs> because take a band like this morning, everybody's got to find their place, got to contribute something. But hopefully, if everybody's finding their place right, what we contribute, the, the, the sum is greater than the parts. So I ask, what do you have to give? What talents, what giftings, what could be financially, what, whatever. What do you have to contribute? No matter how small it is. I got one, one silly story here. No, it's not a silly story. It's a good story. It was a little over three years ago that we felt the call to plant this church. And immediately we put our condo on the market down in Kenner. Which, by the way, if anybody wants to buy it, we can still uh, sell it. Uh, and so... I just thought, oh, God's calling us into this thing, so he's going he's gonna to sell this condo in, in a month. And we had an offer on it within the first weekend, and then they drove around the neighborhood at night and decided, <laughs> no, <laughs> uh, too many parties going on. So I thought, oh, well, we got one offer. Surely we'll get it. That was the only offer we had for the next uh, year. <laughs> and we, we get into doing our small group over at Mike's house on on during the week and and we had like 10 or 12 people that were getting together over the summer and and we were slowly moving towards the time where our church on the south shore was going to actually send me and dina out to plant this church over here and and the condo still hadn't sold if anything it looked more impossible because now uh there was a lot of drama going on between the other tenants they're just people getting all nasty and funky and uh it's starting to look pretty impossible so it came November, and our church was getting ready to send us out. And they did the whole service. And, and come December, I didn't have to go to work anymore on the South Shore. 
But we still hadn't moved over here. And it was breaking my heart because I was like, I don't want to be stuck in Kenner when God's called us to be a part of this community. I don't want to just be a commuting pastor. I want to plug into the community. I want to build relationships with neighbors, get my kids in the schools, that kind of stuff. And so it got pretty desperate. I started applying for jobs. At, you know, I, I was like, dude, I'll do anything. I'll dig ditches. I'll go to Starbucks, whatever. I thought I'd, I'd start dropping off. Nobody even called me back from Starbucks. I was a little... A little sad. But I, I just thought, man, if I can maybe get an extra job, no, another 20 hours a week, then maybe I can at least get a little efficiency apartment or something where our family can stay a few days a week, even if it's one room. I don't care. We'll get over here. Well, in the meantime, there was a, some friends of ours that uh, had had some car trouble. And kind of like what Mike was talking about last week, seeing what God's doing and and, and obeying them, I, I felt like God said, hey, those friends of yours that, that had car trouble, um, why don't you give them 200 bucks to help fix up their car? So I'm like, okay. said, so, hey, you know, I got 200 bucks to help you fix up your car. I'm like, oh, cool, thanks. About a week later, another friend of mine had some car trouble. It was a little bit bigger car trouble, like in the multiple thousand dollars range. And um, I'm sitting out having coffee with God on the back porch this one morning, and and... I felt like God said, hey, why didn't you ask me about this other friend of yours? You asked me about those friends. What about this friend? You want to give him 200 bucks? I was like, well, <laughs> that's a lot more damage. God, I don't, I don't think $200 is going to go very far. <laughs> he says, well, I want you to give him $200 too. Okay. So I called this friend up and said, hey, look, um, I got... Uh, I know it's not going to go very far. I know we're talking multiple thousands of dollars here, but... Uh, I'd like to contribute to your uh, car fund. I got $200. <laughs> and I felt kind of silly. Uh, and, 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 and this guy said, well, okay, cool. He said, but by the way, he said, look, uh, me and my wife, we, we've been talking. We, we had some money set aside that, that we were just praying about where we should give it. And we felt like God directed us to give it to you so you can get to the North Shore. And it wasn't a couple hundred dollars. It was several thousand dollars. It was enough to where two weeks later, we're living over here in Abita Springs, getting our kids registered in school. And we were able to get through the first few months of this church without any financial stress on our lives. Now, I'm sure God could have done all that without me giving my 200 bucks or whatever. Or God, he, he got, God could have come up with something. But I just think in my own life, there's just that sense of just show up, no matter how crazy it looks, no matter how impossible, no matter how small you think your contribution might be, you know, $200 to several thousand dollars, just show up. Because your little bit with Jesus is going to be more than enough. And so the question I asked today, you know, I, I said at our, our vision meeting the other night, I said, you know, I, I really feel like this is the year this is the time where we're going to start branching out into to reaching out to the community. I would love, you know, I discussed that, that there's, there may be a possibility of getting another building that's, that's a little bit bigger. We could go back to one service. But I, I just mentioned the other night, I don't care about having a bigger building just to have a bigger place on Sunday mornings. Although I would like more space for the kids. Uh, we could use that. But to me, I would like, a, if we get a building, to be able to do camps for, for people that 
that may not have fathers, may not have opportunities in their lives, people that were, were within eight or ten blocks of this church, because I said, honestly, that's why we planted our church here, so we could not just reach out to those who are well off, but to those who ain't got as much. And so I ended the meeting the other night by saying, how do we do this? I don't know, but I think it just starts with maybe building some relationships, maybe taking what little bit we got and just seeing where it goes. Because I know that at the end of the day, if we're obedient with the little bit that we have, and when I look around at this little bitty building, I think God's done a whole lot with this place. (laughs) But I think He's asking us, what little bit can we give to Him? Because in His hands, it's going to be more than enough. Why don't you all stand?